This is my buddy Jonathan Hurley, and I told you, um, I think last week, we had just met about Mexico and some things going on, and he has a quick announcement about that, so go for it. Uh, well, we have uh, Chris going down there this week, uh, not this week, uh, the 19th through the 24th, and uh, you guys all remember the pictures that Dave showed last week, which uh, is pretty exciting, you know, the infant care center is being built, and it's got a couple walls framed up on the second story. Um, and, you know, we can always throw bodies in Mexico, but the really exciting thing about this is that we have a skilled tradesman going down who knows what needs to be done, knows how to lead people to do it, and uh, we kind of just need the people to do it. So he's willing to uh, lead a crew if we have a crew to be led. Um, there's a couple people willing to go down there. Um, again, the date's 19th through the 24th, but if there's anybody else, it's really short notice, but if you can, if you can swing it and uh, swing a hammer, then uh, you'd be useful. We need a total of about five or six guys to make it useful. He'll be going down there anyway for some other stuff, but if we can get some guys out there, then you know we can we can uh, start framing up the rest of the infant care center, which would be pretty cool. So if you have any questions, I'll be here in the front. Um, and uh, again, 19th through the 24th of this month. Uh, uh, so have any questions? I'll be up front if you want to ask anything. Thanks. Thanks, Jonathan. Um, and just. Just to clarify on that, um, we don't want to be saying this just to be politically correct, but if there's some burly gals wanting to go down there, uh, this is like, we don't, want to, we don't want to limit it just to guys. This is like grab a toothbrush and a sleeping bag and, and go sweat for about three or four days. Um, and there's a missions trip coming up in like several days. So uh, that's what's great about being kind of a smaller church. The policy uh, makers and committees um, all were at House of Bagels last week, and we made this made this happen. So we're doing it. Uh, basically, we see a need, and we have it we have it going on. So Chris Shelley is a contractor, and um, again, you don't really need to have a lot of know-how to go down there. But some of you may have that President's um, Day Monday off, or could swing it somehow. They're going to travel on Friday, uh, come down for the for the weekend, and just come and like like Jonathan said, swing a hammer, learn a new skill, put up a wall. Um, we can't match Disney's deal. Disney has a deal where if you volunteer for one day, you get a free ticket to Disneyland. But if you volunteer for several days, you get to come to church here for free the rest of your life, really. Um, so anyway, it's not, you know, we have cheaper water here. So uh, listen, open your Bibles, and we are gonna, uh, we're going to dive in this morning with some different, uh, some different things. <clears throat> We've been in the middle of a series called Demanding, um, and it's just talking about the things in Scripture that, that God demands of us and, um, and doesn't leave as optional. And kind of the double meaning of it is this, that the Christian life isn't all roses, is it? It's actually a very uh, challenging and difficult walk to follow the, the Lord and Savior. He it led him to the cross, and uh, at the starting point of a new Christian the, the message, the, the beckoning invitation is come and take up your cross daily and follow me. Kind of an interesting, different kind of, a, of, a, of an invitation. Um, we've been looking at some different things. This morning we're going to focus on this idea of putting on the new man. And I want to just kind of clarify terms as we, as we start this morning so we can all be uh, just kind of, kind of clear on this. First of all, when I mention the old man today, I'm not talking about anyone's dad in here, okay? So every time I refer to the old man, here's what I'm talking about. It's the person you were born into this world as. It includes men, women, and children. It's this, it's this nature that we're born into, which is a, which is a sin nature. And, um, and you didn't learn that or get that imprinted by your experiences. And if you just had a better school or 
better parents or not as mean of an older brother, you wouldn't be sinful. The reality is we're born in sin, and that's the old man. That's the old nature that, that we're talking about. This is a little bit of a stretch, but when I mention the word new man, it's not Newman, uh, Jerry Seinfeld's neighbor. So I don't think people are going to get confused on that one as much as old man. Here's the new man. It's the supernatural state versus the natural state that we are, that we are reborn into. And that's the start of the Christian walk. That's what it means to be a Christian. Doesn't mean you have a U.S. citizenship. Um, even though we're a Christian nation, it doesn't mean that you attended um, Sunday school flawlessly growing up. It doesn't mean that you wrote down your name on a prayer card one time or were followed up by a church. It's this new nature. It's being reborn. And that's really the start of what it means to be a Christian. We've talked a lot about all this. I also want to talk about the word reform. The word reform means this. <clears throat> it means the improvement or amendment of what is wrong, corrupt, or unsatisfactory. And let me just say this, that at a time when healthcare is in the latest kind of current spotlight with this word, um, one may be tempted to think narrowly about reform. But in, rea- in reality, reform is built into the very fabric and conscience of every single society. Think about this, whether it's William Wilberforce combating the unsatisfactory treatment of slaves in 1800s England, or Martin Luther pounding on the door of Wittenberg 95 declarations of independence from this life-sapping religion that had kind of settled on the land of Europe at the time under the guise of the church. And kind of like in a Narnia way, it created this permanent winter spiritually over those people. Or whether it's students that right now today in Tehran, over in Iran, and the things going on there, people fighting for striving for reform. It's always going on. Here's my hunch. It will always be discussed. It will always be debated. And reform will always be held up as an honorable, noble goal to pursue. Here's what I think. I think as you look at that, and you think about the word reform, and you think about the different shapes that it might take through the course of time, It's really evidence of the fall. Because reform is saying things are messed up. Things are wrong and need to change. By the very definition, it's an improvement or an amendment of what is wrong, corrupt, or unsatisfactory. I look at that as evidence of what happened in Genesis. Proof that we were made for so much more. Confirmation that things are not right as they are. And that's why we hope and that's why we sing and that's why we fight and strive for saying This is not right. We need to change this. Here's what I want to say this. Two kinds of reform. One is our version of reform. Our meaning human beings. Okay? Here's the spectrum of it. I'm going to leave something out. But there's political reform, social reform, theological reform, educational reform. We already talked about medical reform. And there's even personal reform. It happens every January 1st at the gym. Right? People saying, I need to change. I'm unsatisfied. This is corrupt. You know, whatever. And so there's all kinds of reform that goes on. And what, what we do with reform is we kind of take the pieces and we shuffle them around. It's a little bit smoke and mirrors in some ways. We improve things, we work on things, but we're confounded. We're, we're finite in our thinking. It's really easy to point out things need reform. It's a different thing to try and create reform, isn't it? William Wilberforce, take his story, 26 years battling the mindset in England at the time that said it is not right to enslave another human being. And there's a fantastic movie kind of made about his story. 
But even in that, there was, there was a, a limited factor. There wasn't a brand new creative process that, that came apart about. A band called Vigilantes of Love, just one of the greatest songwriters, in my opinion, of our time is a guy named Bill Maloney, and he wrote this, this penetrating lyric. He says this, we all want to change things, but can you change yourself? And here's what, here's what that's getting at, is we look at things and say, things need to change, and our society needs to change, and this church needs to change. And then you look in the mirror and say, man, it's so stinking hard just to change what I see. That leads us to God's reform. God's reform is truly and infinitely creative. I love this imagery that's totally scripture given to us as a gift to the church for this imagery of being reborn. It's not reshuffled. It's not just kind of restacking the deck a little bit. It's reborn. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's, one version says, masterpiece. We're God's created masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. Kind of illustrating man's reform versus God's reform is this story. Speaking from his park soapbox, a communist pointed to an ill-clad man and said, communism can put a new man, a, a, a new suit on that man. Someone from the crowd called out and replied, Christ can put a new man in that suit. And that's the difference. Communism can, can, can come in, pull Political, social reform can come in and say, hey, we can make things better on the outside, externally. Christ comes along and says, you don't need a new suit. You need a new heart. You need a new mind. And that's where the idea of being reborn comes in. Just a couple things for you to kind of fill out this morning. If you follow along, uh, it may help keep you awake. We'll see. Uh, it's kind of warm in here this morning, so if you drift off, we'll, we'll understand. Um, but kind of the first feeling is this, that God stores his glory in Tupperware. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and probably a familiar passage to some of you, but kind of as an opening overarching thought, I want you to get this in your head so we understand what we're talking about in putting on the new man. Putting on the new man can drift into communism, putting on a new suit with religious language. That's the only difference, if we're not careful if we don't really understand what's happening. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, so why do we have this ministry? Why do we have this calling on our life? Why do we have this new birth? It's, it's the mercy of God. It's a gift. It says, We do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, <clears throat> by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here's what he's talking about. As a newborn believer, what you are on mission to do is to share the good news, to share this new life, to share the pathway to God. And what happens sometimes is people get hung up on some different things. One of our main hang-ups, I believe, is the external. I can't, share, I can't share my faith like that person over there. I'm not that bold. I'm not nearly as eloquent as that person over there. I can't seem to serve behind the scenes and not go crazy like that person over there. God never seems to bring opportunities into my life like they do for that person over there. And sometimes we start to kind of think somehow it's about us or maybe something's wrong with us. Now, I don't know if you are a child of the 70s like myself, but if you are, there's a decent chance 
that you understand what this is. Tupperware, probably I would say, had its heyday in the 70s. And uh, in our house, what happened was this. Um, we, we had tons of Tupperware. We were a big, big Tupperware family. And I have, been, I have been properly schooled by my mom. I have three brothers, so me and the four boys all understand how to properly burp Tupperware. Okay, you start in a corner, you kind of ring it around, and you want that good. Oh. See, now, now that's all the freshness just locked right in there. And what would happen constantly in the first, I don't know, 14 years of life maybe, is that my mom would come and show that this wasn't properly burped. And so what happens is the broccoli or whatever might have been residing inside is now a different shade of green, right? Or whatever's going on. And that means that it wasn't used properly. Anyone tracking with me on Tupperware? Okay, Tupperware's a big deal. It was, anyways. Uncle Rico tried to bring it back for Napoleon Dynamite, but it's, it's kind of stayed there. Here's, here's, here's why I bring up Tupperware. If you look down uh, just a little bit in Scripture, in, in this passage that we're at, what you see is this. You see this term, jar of clay. And we don't have a whole lot of clay jars around, but there's a lot of Tupperware floating around. And the Bible talking about a, a jar of clay or a piece of Tupperware is to say this. Don't get, don't get too hung up on the Tupperware. Like, don't think that, that this package is, is somehow the, the special component of things. Look at verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So why does God put his presence, his treasure, the gospel, the good news, his new life in plain old Tupperware? What's the scripture say? Look at it. Verse 7. Why does he do that? Why does he put it in jars of clay? For his glory. To show it's not from us. So when I'm talking about the new man this morning, when I'm talking about getting rid of the old man, I'm not talking about externally get all this stuff outside and turn yourself from a Tupperware into like a really valuable vase that would be in a museum somewhere. That's the hang-up that people get into sometimes. They don't realize that the Tupperware is temporary and it only is there for a season of time. There's a passage, in fact, we just sang this, that, that, that we're joining in singing with the angels around the throne of God when we come together and worship. And there are, there are angelic beings that if they showed themselves to you right now, you would fall down as if dead because of the glory of these angels. And they're but angels. They're not God's presence. But all through scriptures, when we see angels, they're not floating, cute, chubby things. They're, they're powerful beings that cause a severe reaction in the human being experiencing interaction with them. And right now, they're singing this song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They're calling out to one another this song of praise around the throne of God. And they go on to sing this. The whole earth is full of His glory. When I read that song, and I think about this, I think to myself, is that an overstatement? Think about the, the size and scope of that statement. The whole earth is full of God's glory. It's easy to catch glimpses of God's glory, right, on a powerful sunset or some scenic viewpoint that we see. We like to put very spectacular images behind our worship music. It'd be interesting to just put a cupboard 
or your living room or something more mundane behind our worship music someday just as a statement to say, the whole earth is full of God's glory. How is it full of God's glory in my kind of messy kitchen? And then it dawns on me that the glory of God resides in his Tupperware. You know that all around the globe right now are people who've been reborn by the Spirit of God? I mean, surrounding the globe are people who are Christians. The whole earth is full of God's glory because everywhere you go, you're bringing God's glory to that place. There's not God's glory in my cubicle. If you're a Christian and you're there, baloney. There is. You're it. Uh, You don't understand. There's not glory at my school. If you're there and you're a Christian, God's treasure resides in you. Of course there's His glory there. That's a powerful thought. The whole earth is full of God's glory because there are Christians all over the world. This is why we don't lose heart. I want to start this morning with this. This is your memory verse for the week. Skip down to the end of chapter 4 and look at verse 16. As we get talking about putting on the new man and putting off the old man, I don't want you hung up on the outward external. Verse 16 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. I hope this is an encouraging morning for you. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's God's reform. It's a regeneration. It's a day by day renewing. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now this was a big risk, but I decided to do it. One element to these Tupperware uh, separates all these Tupperware out from the rest. I wouldn't pay two cents for the rest of this Tupperware. We have more Tupperware in our home than I know what to do with. But given the right piece of knowledge, I would have paid large sums of money for this little yellowish-orange lidded one because it just so happens to have my wife's wedding ring in it. That's the treasure. That's, that's God's presence in us, and that's what separates us from every other person that we see. Every piece of Tupperware that was paraded before me, I couldn't, I couldn't dis, dis, distinguish or really care about. But you take one that has my wife's wedding ring in it, I want that one. That one is set apart. This is the treasure. Here, babe, I'll give this back to you so I don't get... That's just on my mind unless it's on her finger. God's treasure resides in something as mundane and simple as as Tupperware. Think about the nation of Israel. What set them apart from all the peoples of the world? Moses asked that question. It's God's presence. He said, if you're not with us, who are we among the nations? But God's presence with the nation of Israel makes the nation of Israel something. Let me just briefly go over a couple of things. Here's the old man. The old man, the natural person, can keep certain parts of the law and do various good things. We can see that. (coughs) It doesn't take a new man, per se, to join Jonathan, get on a a suburban or on a plane, fly down to Mexico, help out some, some kids who don't have a family. You can do that in the flesh. But the old man can never do enough to earn salvation. The old man must be made into a new man or he will suffer the consequences of his sin. And only God can bring about the radical change of the old man. 
Let me, uh, let me read for you Ephesians 2.12. You don't need to turn there. You can jot it down if you want to. But Ephesians 2.12 says this. Remember at that time, he's, right, he's talking back about being the old man. Remember what you were before Christ gifted you with new life. Remember that at that time, you were, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the, in the world. That's the old man. That's the old self. Separate, excluded, foreigners, no hope, no hope, no God. And then verse 13 says, but now. This is the essence of the good news. This is your state before, and to really understand that, and you see words that say, but now, there's a change coming. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's the gospel in a nutshell. We're not going to belabor this because we've just spent several weeks on this. If you want to go back and listen to what it means to be born again, what it means to to believe and trust in Christ for salvation, those are online. But in essence, the new man can celebrate good times. People woke up this morning ready to celebrate, ready to party, ready to get together and have a good time. For most people in the nation, their team's already long gone out of it. Unless you're kind of a train jumper and you're on the you know, Saints bandwagon or, or Colts bandwagon this morning. Most of our teams have already fallen away, right? It's depressing. It's sad. I know. I'm with you, brother. We're going to have a prayer group for Cowboys fans uh, just outside <laughs> later on. So just, just so you know that. <clears throat> so most of, our, most of our teams aren't even there. But you know what? People are going to get together because they, they want to celebrate something, right? So they're going to come and there's going to be kind of a, a little bit of a hollow celebration. You know what? Even if your team's, if you're a Saints fan, I mean, come on. You've been waiting a long time for today. You know what? Even if Saints, even if the Saints pull it off and win today, which I'm kind of pulling for, it's fleeting. I mean, it feels, it'll feel really good and people who are just, yeah, my God won. And then honestly, there's a, there's a, there's a deflation that goes on a little bit like Christmas, you know, two weeks after Christmas morning, after you got that toy, unwrapped it, used it, and it kind of broke, and you're like, eh, I don't know what the big deal was. There's going to be celebration, but it won't be like the new man. Here's the essence of the new man, and by that I mean person. Those who were alive to the world but dead to, to God are now made alive to God and dead to the world. That's, that's just kind of in a nutshell what it means to be the new man. Now that leads us to this idea of how we're going to live and what it means to, to putting on the, the new man. And by putting on the new man, we must put off the old. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. We're going to camp out the rest of the morning on two, two little sections of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 22. It says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, verse 22. Here it is, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. 23 says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So in essence, by saying that you're demanded that you put on the new self, implied in that, built into that, is that we put off the old self. And as we're going to see, that's both a present reality and an ongoing command for us. And that's one of the mysteries of walking by faith in Christ. Two extremes of this. 
There are some that decide that putting off the old self is all I'm going to focus on. And these are the people who are super upright. And not only are they super upright, but they have created a religion of no. No, you can't do that. That's the old way. Off, off, off. No, no, no. It's void of life and it's void of grace. And if you only focus on putting off the old self, that's where you end up. That's the camp that you kind of end up. Some of you may have been raised in churches like that. And when you discovered in the Bible that God's a God of grace, it blew your mind. Because all you ever heard was no. You can't do that. And so you tried to will yourself to do it, and every single one of you failed. Because we're not intended to be able to do that. So if you're only putting off the old self, you're missing it. Colossians 3.23 says this. Talking about um, these kind of regulations, these man-made regulations that, that, that people were, were putting on the church. He says this. You were taught with... Uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 2.23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's the thing. People like that look really, really righteous and holy. Wow, you must be righteous and holy. You fast, you don't do this, you, 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 you put away that, you never touch that. Yeah, that's right. Has kind of a false sense of, of good, godly holiness but you know what? It really has no power to change the heart. For that, we need a new, a new man. We need a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Now, here's the other extreme of that. What if all you ever focus on is putting on the new Christ and you never, ever, ever talk about putting off the old self? Here's where that ends up. It ends up as someone who's indulgent. They're still enslaved in their lives. There's been no change. There's no power to overcome sin. And frankly, it's no good. So just to focus on, I'm just going to put on Christ, put on Christ, put on Christ, and never talk about or deal with the old natural self is to lead you astray. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, you can just jot it down, it says this, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now that we know that there's grace, now that we know that there's a covering for our sin, are we just to say, sweet, I know I can engage in this because I can just go back to my Heavenly Father and, and ask for, for forgiveness. And by his word, by his promise, he has to forgive me. So Paul asks this question, shall we just go on sinning then so that grace can abound more and more? Hey, I'll just keep heaping more grace on myself. Here's what he says. He uses this word meganoita. It's the strongest. May it never be. Don't ever think that. No, don't go there. He says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This has all been kind of a setup for where we're going the rest of the morning. I want to invite the band back up. The band's going to lead us in a song called Surrender. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to get to celebrate. I mean, this being on Super Bowl Sunday is an awesome thing. Because this is a reason to celebrate is the new life of three people who are getting baptized this morning. And that's something to party about. That's something to be excited about. And as I looked about, as, as I looked and studied and prayed, God, what do you want me to say about putting off the old self and putting on the new self? It was totally God that ordained that baptisms be on this particular Sunday. Because I could not possibly come up with a better illustration than baptism for what we're talking about. It's, it's going under. It's, this, it's a sacred drama, essentially, of this new birth process. As a person goes under the water... They are identifying with Christ going into the grave and dying. 
And as they are raised to new life, they are, they are unified and they are identifying with the fact that Christ rose from the dead, conquering sin and its penalty and giving you power to walk in newness of life. As someone walks out of the baptistry and into the rest of their life, they don't say, man, now I'm, now I'm newborn and all I have to do is just exist. No, no, no. Like a baby being born, now they start to live and now they start to walk in this newness of life. And in one moment, they receive the new birth. And this portrayal, this, this, this sacrament given to us, baptism, is a, is a picture of that for us to hang on to and to look at. But they don't stop living. They keep on walking. I want to I close before we, we go to baptism with this, with this thought. And we're going to spend the rest of our morning, for the most part, in, in Colossians 3. Flip open over to Colossians 3. A couple books to your right. I want you to realize that what we're about to do right here is representative of a truth that's already gone on in the lives of these three people. You don't need to be baptized to be saved, or else we would add something to the work of Christ on the cross. And we can tell by the fact that Jesus looked to his, to his side and told the thief on the cross, you're going to be with me today in paradise. He didn't say, oops, but you're not baptized. <laughs> Sorry. Why don't you get on down real quick, get baptized, get nailed back up. Can we just get... He didn't do that. You know why? Because Christ, Christ has the power to forgive sin. Now, the reason we have people that are going to come walk through the waters of baptism, see, elevated right to the very component of what it means to be a disciple. Believe and be baptized every time in Scripture. So that's why we hold it up high regard. And I'm so pumped this morning to get to hear from people. But it's a, it's a drama. It's illustrating a truth, a reality that's already gone on. This morning, about 945, we were in the back celebrating what God's done in these three people's lives and praying that that would just be communicated to the body here. We're going to sing this song, Surrender, in just a moment. But look at Colossians 3.1. Colossians 3.1 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Something that someone is as a new believer, as a new man, as a new person, is they've been raised with Christ. We're not going to baptize and leave anyone in the grave this morning. They're raised up with Christ because that's where Christ is. He's alive this morning. We have a risen Savior. Flip down to verse 12. Three more traits that I want you to see that a new person is. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with. And then there's a whole list of virtues that he says, this is what you're supposed to put on now as a new creature in Christ. But did you catch those three elements of what we are right now? We're chosen into God's family. We're holy and we're beloved. We're loved by God. And long before you do any of this working to put anything on or working out your salvation, that's your standing before a holy God if you trust and receive by faith the pathway God's made for rescue. And that's why we party this morning. That's why we celebrate. I hope you're fired up for the three people that are getting baptized this morning. We're going to have a welcome lunch out here uh, afterwards. Come up and congratulate them. Come up and just say, brother, sister, welcome to the family. I want to hear about what God's done in your life some more. Let's sing this song right now, and then we'll, uh, we'll move into baptisms.
We have three that are going to be baptized this morning, and this is Denise Dunham, and um, she's going to be sharing a couple of words about, um, I just asked her to share a little bit about um, how it came to be, Denise, that you're following the Lord's example here to be baptized this morning. So why don't you share with the, the congregation? I have believed in the Lord all my life. I know that. And I believed that Jesus was my Savior and that he died for my sins. But what I didn't do was surrender. And I, I made the decisions. I decided how I was going to praise and how my life was going to be. And I don't want to do that anymore. So, the prodigal daughter has come home. Mm-hmm. And he has clothed me in grace, and he has shown me mercy, and he loves me. Mm-hmm. I have a verse that I would go back to many times, and it's Isaiah forty-eight seventeen. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. So here I am today. I profess my, my love and my belief in Jesus Christ, that he lived, died, and was resurrected for my sins and yours. Well, you just stole my lines. Did I? I'm sorry. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Turn around this way. Um, I'm going to, yeah, you can go ahead and sit down. There you go. Like I haven't done this before. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, um, you've already just testified, and that's, that's what baptism is about, is a public, a public identification in already articulating, and, and you did a fantastic job. But I'll go through my lines anyways, because okay. I like saying them. Um, Denise, I want to just ask you if you have... Um, if, you have, if you have believed in the message and person of Jesus Christ, that he was and is, in fact, eternally God, came down to earth on a mission of love, on a mission of rescue, died on a cross for your sin, for mine, for the whole world's, and that he rose again on the third day so that we could walk in newness of life. Do you believe this? I do. Absolutely. And, uh, and secondly, it's just that... Um, He's asked us to follow. He's given us the choice whether to reject him or to choose to follow him. And if you decided to acknowledge him and, and choosing to follow him publicly today as your Lord and Savior the rest of your life. Well, it's based on that profession of faith. And I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. cheer on that one. If you're going to cheer for a touchdown, you got to cheer for a baptism. Come on down, Caitlin. And this is Caitlin Guineros, and uh, we just had the privilege not all that long ago of, of baptizing David, and uh, yeah, you can do And uh, I've, asked, I've asked Caitlin as well just to share a little bit of her experience and the journey that God's brought her on to be um, following the Lord's uh, biblical command and example to be in the waters of baptism this morning. So Caitlin, why don't you share <laughs> That's my little girl, Chloe. Chloe's got your back. Um, I was always that little girl, like my daughter, who asked why. Mm. Why? Um, that question is, has always been in my life, and I've always, um, that sort of directed me down the path that I've, I've gone on. 
Um, I was raised in a Christian home, and I was raised to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I felt that he's always been there for me, even when I didn't think he was or didn't believe in him. So all the questioning I did, I, I felt like in my education I needed to, to, to get those questions answered because they became more profound and, and they kept beating up my, at my soul. And so I went to college and studied philosophy and became agnostic and knew there was something out there but wasn't sure what it was. And I, at one point I was walking down the street in the middle of the night, <clears throat> going to a club probably, and somebody walks by me and says, Jesus loves you. And that just really touched my soul. And at that point, I felt like a heavy burden had been lifted and that he had found me in the middle of nowhere and he was calling me to come home. Um, so that was a huge turning point in my life. And I became a part of a Christian community and they answered all my questions. Not all my questions, but it brought me back. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> from that point, just to sum it up really quick, sorry. Um, I just I strayed from my faith, and that brought me back. And um, and in the pursuit of knowledge, I realized that um, in all these philosophies that I was reading about, there was no real proof that God did not exist. There was it was more logical to believe that God did exist. And not only does He exist, He wants a personal relationship with us. And if He wasn't a personal God, how how could He create something so personal? And to me, that just makes so much sense. Um, so, and, and being a mom now, I realize, you know, so much is um, dependent on me, and I want to show her the right way. So um, Ephesians 3.19 says, To know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. All right, Dave, let's do this. Well, that was such an awesome verse for, uh, for Caitlin because of her pursuit of knowledge. And here it was, uh, a stranger, right, walking by you, saying Jesus loves you. And that's what God used to kind of break through and, um, and, and do that. And Caitlin, I just want to ask you if uh, those same two questions, if you trust and believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he is, and that is the Lord of, of the universe, and that he came and died on the cross out, out of love for you. Awesome. <clears throat> and have you chosen to make him your Lord and Savior, and that you're going to follow him the rest of your days? Praise God. Praise God. Well, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have one more. We have just one more to be baptized. This is Ben, and I'm going to let Greg take over the reins. Greg is uh, his small group leader, and uh, so it's it's fitting and appropriate that, that Greg be the one to baptize him. So take it away, Greg. Awesome, Ben. Yeah, to see you here. Uh, just just want to say. You know, I was trying to think of, you know, a couple one-word descriptions, you know, about Ben and his journey. I've known him about a year, year and a half now, uh, part of the men's group together on uh, Friday mornings for a while, and then a young adult small group, and so I've just been getting to know him a lot. It's been an awesome journey. I remember we had a challenging conversation one time in the back after worship. We were here for like an hour, and they're like, we're closing up. You guys need to leave. 
And that was just, you know, that, that was sort of the start of it. And uh, we had lots of coffee times and small group discussions. And just, uh, you know, just similarly to what uh, Denise and Caitlin were saying, is I was trying to think of one word that's, or a couple words that have been describing Ben. And he's been just growing in discipleship in the last year. He's been growing in the knowledge of Christ. But he's also been growing in surrender. And that's the same thing that they've mentioned, sort of a, a common theme. And that's sort of what's going on today is, you know, the new man. We surrender our old man so we can take up a new man that Christ gives us. Uh, and that's what's been going on in Ben's life for the last couple of years, and I'm, you know, I'm glad to be part of the last year or year or so. But I don't want to take all of Ben's story, so he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna share some, and uh, and then we'll continue on. Hello, I'm very happy to be doing this. I'm really excited. It's uh, crazy how much happy happiness that God has given me right now. Um, so okay, when I was uh, 11 and 12, I went to church. I did what I had to do. I went through the motions, um, but I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I started developing doubts in my head, uh, not, nothing really profound, nothing, nothing too intelligent, and I thought that doubting was bad. And so I started getting more uncomfortable and uncomfortable with the idea that maybe Christianity wasn't true. Um, I had a conversation with my grandfather, and he was an adamant atheist, and he was also in the Mensa Society. And so I thought, well, it, my, gran- my grandfather is pretty intelligent. If he's an atheist, I should be an atheist too. And so I became an atheist when I was about uh, 13. But... It didn't last very long. Um, I always had this intuitive sense that there was a God, and I, al- and I always wanted there to be a God. And around 13, I started thinking about him a lot and started believing in him, but I didn't have a religion. Um, in the summer before my freshman year of high school, um, someone, a friend said to me, do you like that, that good feeling you get when you do something good in secret? And it really bugged me because I didn't like that feeling at all. I like doing good things and getting credit for it and getting glory for myself. <laughs> and... And the theme was that I I wanted to be my own savior. And so I I immediately set out to do something good in secret and tell no one about it, because then I would become that kind of a person. And um, so I went to a neighbor, and they lost their cat, so I went and looked for their cat, and then I didn't tell them I did it. And I thought, wow, what a great guy I am. (laughs) And around this time, I started talking to God even more, because I thought, he he can help me. Like, I'm I'm, I'm driving. God God can help me. He'll have some strength in there, too. So he's he's in it with me, but he's he's not in control. And I also thought, you know, if there is a heaven, I would for sure be there because, like, I'm the kind of guy who looks for cats and doesn't tell anybody about it, you know. <laughs> so it was really going to my ego. So for four years, I just was, I thought religion was completely ridiculous. Um, it's cultural. You're born in a Christian household, you become a Christian, and there's nothing more going on. And then I met a friend when I was 14, and we debated for a couple of years. But two things, um, two things about this friend was the first was that he was smarter than me. And the second was that he was a Christian, and that made it even worse. And so just the fact that there was a Christian who could, who could take care of my arguments and I wasn't as smart as I thought I was disturbed me because now I couldn't trust in my mind to save me from Jesus. But what could I trust? And so when I was 17 in November, I surrendered to Jesus. And it wasn't a happy moment. I was uncomfortable. I didn't like Jesus, but I knew that I needed him. So I became a Christian when I was 17. Um, and that, 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 it was a fear of hell, and that, that fear of hell has, has turned since then into a, a positive love for Jesus, to actively want to become more like him. Um, but I didn't join a church. I'm 22 right now. I didn't join this church until I was uh, a month before I became, became 21. Um, I, was, I was doing community service for high school credit, and John Giordano, I don't know if he's here, but he, um, he said to me, do you want to join my high school group? And I, I said to him, no thanks, I'd rather go at it alone. And that's just one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, I should have gotten fellowship immediately. I should have been here when I was 17, right there, but it didn't happen. Um, and then when I was 
around October when I was 20, um, my neighbors joined this church and they said it was good, so I decided to come and check it out. And it was a perfect storm. There was a Bible, men's Bible study. Carol told me to do it, so I went in there. I went to San Francisco and did the thing with the homeless, and I was like, okay, I'm with these people now. I guess I'm going to go to church now. And so I went, but there was still a problem. It was that all the, all the good things that I had done, they were completely devouring me. I wasn't being edified. I was becoming more distant and sour toward people. And I would go to church and leave feeling bad because I felt like I was trying so hard, but that having relationships and having, and, and, and having fun didn't come naturally to me like it did to other people. And so I became very sour and just really a lot of self-hatred and a lot of disappointment and a lot of complaining to God and insulting God and telling him that I hated him sometimes. Because I'm trying so hard. Why is it that I'm not being edified? What's, what's going on? What's wrong with me? And why do other people have, seem to have such a good time? And I became jealous and envious toward other people and very bitter. And so finally, I decided to uh, get baptized. Um, someone told me that if you don't obey God and clear things, you're going to keep going in a circle. And once I made the decision to be baptized, God has just woken me up in unimaginable ways. Um, I've been going through my emotions and delving into myself and why I am the way I am and being my own psychoanalyst, and it doesn't work. Um, I realized that, you know, I didn't fully realize what it meant for God to be the Lord of my life, for Jesus to be in control. I, I still thought that I was, I was driving and he was, he was next to me. And one thing that didn't make sense is when people said that it was God's strength, to him goes the glory. To me, that, it sounded nice, but no one really believed it, because we all know that we have to do our own strength. It didn't make any sense. And that thing was the cause of my problems. I was sitting in my work one day, and I was just really disappointed because I was just getting attacked with thoughts, and I'm like, I'm trying so hard. What is it? And I was trying to delve into my own personality and my childhood and, you know, just what's, why I am the way I am. And then finally it was like God just said to me, can I please take that over? Can you please give that to me? Can you please give me your thoughts and your, your emotions? And it was profound. It was like I didn't know that that's what it meant for Jesus to be the Lord of my life, that he is my psychoanalysis. I don't, I'm not the one who has to go into myself. It's him. And since then, it's just the light's woken up. And now I realize that the reason why all my good works were devouring me is because nothing, nothing that comes from my strength is any good. It's poisoned and it's corrupt. And the only thing good inside of me is that Jesus Christ is inside of me. I realize now that I wasn't saved because I was a good person or because I looked for cats. I was saved because God decided to love me. And he decided to love us all. And I realized what it meant really to surrender to Jesus Christ. And so, oh, I want to show my verse oh, sure. real quick. And... <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, uh, God, God took me to a verse through a friend, and um, it, the light clicked on, and uh, this is the verse. Galatians 2.20 and 21. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the, the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. So. Well, ask me to dunk them right now. I got a couple questions I just didn't want to ask you. First off is, uh, do you believe that Jesus was God who was made man? He lived a perfect life here on earth. He was crucified and died on the cross dead and buried, but God raised him up from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God eternally? I believe it. All right. And secondly, have you made this Lord Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, as surrendering to him in all things? He's my Lord. All right. 
In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I now baptize you. We're just getting started. Now we got some church going on. Um, listen, I want to just wrap our time up this morning with, uh, with, a, with a few words about the new life. Don't you want to see more of this go on here? It's, it's God's work. It's God's growth that goes on. We're the, <coughs> we're the ones that plant. Uh, others of you are watering. What a, what a joy to see uh, Ben's community group leader involved in his life. He's the one that spent a lot of hours over at Coffee Net, over, over coffee talking and dialoguing and point, opening the scriptures and looking for God's truth and things. Listen, this morning, uh, we, we wrap up with this. If you're taking notes and it kills you to have some blanks open, we're going to fill those up for you so you don't panic. You can enjoy your week. Um, Colossians 3.9 says this, if you're still in Colossians. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of creator. Do you see that it's a past tense thing? It's a reality. It's an in the moment reality to be gifted new life. And then it's this ongoing daily renewal to continually put on and to walk in the ways that Christ would have us. Here's, here's where I want to go the rest of the morning. This is, uh, this is an old Gary Larson Farside uh, live action thing on the wall. In case you can't read it, it says, first pants, then your shoes. And, uh, and sometimes getting dressed, we need very specific, simple uh, instructions so we don't get confused. We're going to talk about just getting dressed and what it means to put off the old and what it means to put on the new. This idea is what is to cover, what is to, to envelope, what is to... To, to be on this new person? What is this new community to look like? And this is where these various lists of vices and virtues gets intensely practical and tangible. It's not just feel good and kind of nebulous out there. It's really, really in your face. And rather than dive into um, kind of the, the, the deeper in, in each one of these, I'm going to let community groups wrestle with that this week and on the weeks to come. I'm going to let families wrestle through what it looks like to put this on and put off the old. Here's just a sampling of lists between these two passages from Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3 that we're looking at. Ready? Here's what we're to put on. Compassion, unity, kindness. We're supposed to forbear with people. That's the present offenses. We're to forgive people. That's past offenses. And we're to bind it all together in love. That's just a sampling. There's more. While putting to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, de- uh, evil desires, and greed, <clears throat> anger, rage. Have I hit you yet? Hang on. Malice, slander, bad language, lying, bitterness, rage, and brawling. Again, these are a sampling of the virtues that were to put on and the vices that were to take off and keep off and put to death as a new believer. Jerry Bridges, in fact, that, I think that study that Ben mentioned, we were going through Jerry Bridges' uh, practice of godliness at the time. 
And Jerry Bridges has done some amazing work in a book called The Pursuit of Holiness and a follow-up called The Practice of Godliness. Great stuff. It's not a men's study. It's a, it's a new life study. It's talking individually about these different uh, virtues and vices and, and how to, 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 to walk forward in them. So rather than go into these in specific, I'll let those be the community group. I want to just give a couple of overarching kind of principles. There is a wrong way to get dressed. Okay, here they are. I'm going to just throw them out so you can fill them in. Legalistic effort, dressing to impress, and having self-centered motivation. If you're taking notes, those are the three wrong ways to go about putting on Christ. Those are the wrong ways to be putting off the old self. Very quickly, legalistic effort just reveals bad theology, that somehow it depends on you. What an awesome testimony we just heard from three different people on three different paths. Who saved them, themselves or Christ Jesus in his mercy? Christ did. The sovereign God reached out and plucked them out. And that's why it says you're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. God chose these three. It reveals bad theology when you go, as Ben said, looking for cats to help save yourself to help get this thing done. To go walk out of here and say, I need to put on Christ more and that will help me get into heaven. It will help me feel the vibe more. That's bad theology. That's bad thinking. And it will lead to bad places and death. That's all that does. Galatians 3, verse 2 says this. Paul talking, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, that indwells a person when they receive Christ? Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Don't fall into the trap of legalistic effort. Don't start in the Spirit and say, I'm nothing, I surrender it all, God, it's got to be you at work in my life. And then somehow three years later get into, get into this Christian walk and say, man, I've got to start doing more of this. I haven't read nearly enough of my Bible. I haven't done nearly enough good works. I've only led two small groups. I need to pick it up. And somehow feel like you're going to complete the race in any other way besides the Holy Spirit of God in your life. So don't do it with legalistic effort. Here's another bad, wrong way to dress, and that is to dress to impress. Jeremiah 12:2. don't ever let it be said of this church, but listen to this. You, talking to a people, a judgment on people, you, talking about God actually, are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Ever walked in here and the Bible just, just read you like a book? You said, gosh, ouch, that's been me before. I've caught myself sitting in the second row, and that's been me before. God, you're on my lips right now, but my heart's a million miles away. God, would you draw me back? I'm a sheep. I'm a wandering sheep. Bring my thoughts back home to you. Don't dress to impress. Don't be a part of noisy worship services, mocking community groups where we talk, 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 talk. Put it on for a few hours. Take it back off. You know what that is? That's a costume. That's not clothes. You're not clothing yourself with anything. We obviously think getting dressed is pretty important. We all did it today, right? Well, it's the same thing. It's important in your Christian walk. But don't put on a costume. Don't put on a costume, dust it off Sunday morning, come, put it on, then take it back off. That's why it's great to live in community. That's why it's great for Ben to be in community. Because he can't just spout off a bunch of stuff and then go back to his group on Thursday night and they're like, Which guy were you talking about? That's not you. That's part of the joy of walking in fellowship and not going it alone. 
That's the joy of a family that comes around you, spiritual or biological, that says, man, we're in this together. And I want to I hold you accountable. I want to I walk with you in this. So don't dress to impress. Thirdly, don't be self-centered in your motivation. Sometimes we're motivated by the fear of discipline or consequences that affect you instead of a God-word devotion in our, in our responses. You know that following God's laws, following God's path for life is better for this life Even though it's harder, it's better for this life. You will sleep like a baby because God has gifted you His peace. And when you trust and obey and you're walking in His ways, it's not easy. It's a demanding life. That's what we're talking about. But you will be at peace. Like Ben said, as you start to obey, God opens up more and more of your mind and heart to Him. But here's the thing. If you ever become a Christian or find yourself walking in His ways so that it can be better for you here on earth, you're totally missing it. The old man, the old self, can change their ways, rearrange things for fear of consequence. I can, I can not do certain things because I fear the punishment of adultery or I fear the punishment of murder. But it takes a sovereign God to come and take away murder and adultery in my heart and in my mind. Who's the savior of that, of that first scenario? It's me. And why? Because I don't want to be in jail for murdering someone. That's all very me and self-centered. Who's the savior of the second scenario? It's God through and through. Some of you have been trying so hard year after year. It's not getting better. There's need for reform. If you heard one thing this morning, I heard this theme of surrender. And God chose to line up the song surrender before we did our baptism. Lay it down. Here's the right way to get dressed. Three things. In the spirit. First is just in the Spirit, that, that we have the Spirit of Christ and we're to keep in daily step with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, So I say, live by the Spirit. Some of you don't understand. Right now it's garbly goop. It's spiritual mumbo-jumbo. It's what Ben was sharing. You know what? Do it in Christ's power. What does that even mean? That sounds Hallmark cardish, but I've never experienced it or tasted of it. Ask for it. Say, God, I want to walk in your Spirit today. I want to know what it means to live in step with your spirit. Galatians 5.16 So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. We all feel that every single day. Some of you are fighting it right now. Man, when's this welcome lunch going to start? Feast on the Word of God. Come on, hang with me. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. We don't have time to go here. Please read Romans 8 this afternoon. Read the whole chapter. It'll take you a whopping five minutes. TiVo the commercials. You can watch them later. They've gotten really trashy anyway. So come on. Read Romans 8. Okay, that's, that's your one homework assignment before, before your, your, your bed hits the pillow tonight. And I want you to think about what it means to walk in the Spirit and to live this new life gifted to you. Secondly is this, a daily reckoning. Um, man, we're just running low. Band, come on up. We're going to take that element out right now. Romans 6, don't even turn there, just listen and trust. Write it down and check it later if you need. Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 10 to 14 say this. 
The, the death he died, talking about Christ, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Here it is. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Another version, version says, reckon yourselves. Now, I don't speak the word reckon a whole lot. I think of people from the south and say, I reckon. And then they say something. But you know what? It means this. It means to consider, to esteem, to think about this. What if every morning you woke up and you said, right now I'm a new creature in Christ. I am dead to sin. I have power over sin today. I'm alive to God today. And only then and, then and there do you say, now I'm going to let my feet hit the floor and start my day. That's what it means to daily consider this. Daily think on this reality. Augustine said this, no one longs for eternal, incorruptible, and immortal life unless he be wearied of this temporal, corruptible, and mortal life. Some of us are living for this world. An old hymn says this, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. I hope you're starting to taste of that. Finally this, let your motivation be Godward. Let your motivation to walk in this newness of life, to become a part of this community, be Godward in its orientation, meaning that it's devoted from Him. I love the honesty of you, Ben, saying this. You know what? I didn't like Jesus. It wasn't a huge happy moment at that point. We're all saved in different ways, aren't we? But there came a time when He's like, I have to follow this. This is true. And then God opened Himself and revealed Himself and slowly but surely for some people, their, their motivation becomes Godward in their devotion. I love you. This is no longer motivated about me avoiding punishment. This is motivated about me being in love with you. Let all your right behavior and all your shunning of wrong behavior flow and develop and grow through the rest of your life out of right relationship with Christ and out of nothing else. Keep coming back to that. We're going to close with... Um, with a song or two right now, and I want you just to close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment so that we don't get hung up on Tupperware, so that we don't get thinking external, so that we don't start thinking about a list of do's and don'ts and just shaping up a little bit more. I want to read for you with your eyes closed and your mind just thinking on these truths. The reality that's painted for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 It's talking about our resurrection bodies. Actual bodies that we're going to have that will be different than our current ones. And the logic that he forms here is that just as the seed that you would plant in the ground is different from a plant that emerges, so so it is with our body. This body that we have, this Tupperware that's wasting away, is actually being renewed day by day because of the treasure of Christ inside. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body, this physical Tupperware, that is sown, planted, is perishable. It is raised, imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a super, a, a, a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. God, I praise you. I pray it's an encouragement to all of our hearts this morning 
that this putting off and this power we have to walk away from our old life and to envelop ourselves, to put on these virtues that are like Christ, is a participation in the divine nature. And for those who are found to be in Christ on the last day, God, that, that, that we are right now walking in a kind of first fruits, like a down payment of how we'll spend eternity. And yet, God, you, you've chosen to, to hide this truth, hide this participation of the divine nature in bodies that this morning are sick and tired and wasting away and getting beat up and are frail and that fail us. God, this morning we pray that the Word has washed our minds, that we could walk in this newness of life, that we could daily reckon this. Thank you for the visual picture of these three souls, God, that just gave testimony to the glory of what you're doing in their lives. God, we confess that with Caitlin, we don't have all the answers. We have our doubts. But we're encouraged, God, that you give us truth. We're encouraged that you give us signs of life to keep nudging us along, keep wooing us along in relationship with you. We love you and praise you that we're freed from sin. We're freed from death. We're freed from the penalty and the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on those things. We praise you for Jesus Christ this morning. And all God's people said, Amen.